Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Green Knight Podcast. I'm back. I made it through. It was tricky. Um, it was really tricky. But I'm back to complete the series and to intro these swap casts that I did in the spring, starting with this one, which is with uh, Dan, uh, the host of the Cosmic Keys podcast. And he wanted to ask me about um, the hippie movement because I am the child of hippies. And it took me a long time to come to this determination. But uh, yeah, I think the the hippie movement was um, not effective, right, in the way that it intended to be. And perhaps it was so much of a failure, right, that the, the reformed hippies who went back into the corporate world, for lack of a better term, right, went back into the matrix, doubled down twice as hard after having been hippies on the, um, on the game, right? And, you know, perhaps they fucked us even harder than they would have if they didn't have that experience. So I just want to, right? That's kind of how like uh, the pendulum swing works, right? Um, the hippie movement created a massive, massive swing, right? And then it swung back even harder the other way. And now we have, you know, um, the, um, the problems we face now, right, which are actually being presented to us um, in a way that, uh, um, you know, it's a it's problem action solution, right? Um, so to me, it's like the whole thing, man, the whole thing, right, since 1968, <laughs> the whole thing since 71, right? Um, was to get us to right here, right? Where we are in a position where it seems like uh, we've fucked the planet um, and we've fucked ourselves. And the only way to uh, get out of it is to accept the offer from big daddy government. And uh, yeah, and, and so that's it. Uh, all of the good things about the hippie movement are moot, right? And all of the bad things about corporate America, <laughs> right, are have been perpetrated on us so that we end up taking the blame for everything that they did, right? Uh, we didn't pollute the planet, right? We're just regular, right? We didn't poison the groundwater. We didn't do any of that stuff, but now it's on us, right? And now uh, we're all... Um, good little citizens and we're going to accept the offer and we're going to, you know, switch over to batteries, even though batteries are just shunting the energy load over, right? It doesn't solve anything. And if you think it does, then you aren't paying attention, right? Uh, you're just a controlled opposition and that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what driving a Prius is. Pat yourself on the back because you're doing your part. That's what recycling is right? We don't make all those disposable fucking packages, 
right? But it's on us to fucking recycle and no one and recycling doesn't do a goddamn thing. It's, it's a, it's a sham. It's a joke. So, uh, controlled opposition. That's what all y'all are. Right. Until you can fucking realize. And, uh, I ain't judging. I ain't judging. Um, I'm just saying, right. You can, uh, claim to be a truther. Um, but, uh, if you don't make this psychological transformation that I'm discussing in this podcast, not this, this one, but in the whole thing, right. In the green Knight podcast, um, if you can't make it, then we won't make it. And, uh, not understanding, right. That, um, we can't solve the problems, um, our problems with the same kind of thinking that created those problems right? Um, not comprehending that this, what we have, right? Civilization is not the only option, right? If you think that's the only option, right? If you think that we can somehow fix this thing that we're doing, then you've got it wrong, right? Um, we have to abandon it, right? But we have to have a, uh, infrastructure prepared, so that when we abandon it, there's a place to go. And this is what I've been saying. Um, it's not an opinion. It's not an opinion. It's not my opinion. This is what has to happen. And, and that's the tricky part about talking about uh, the truth, right? Um, what is the truth? It's that which is and that which has occurred, right? That's just it. That's all there is to it. And we'll never know exactly what the whole truth is and arguing about the details is doesn't do anything, but we can know this truth. We can know this truth, which is that, um, if we maintain this, um, idea about what value is the current consensus definition of value, right? If we can't invert our own comprehension of what value is, we won't get there, right? And you can't do that unless you make that psychological transformation, right? And so if you're confused about what value is, then listen to the podcast, okay? Listen from the beginning and listen all the way through. Um, after I do these upload these swap casts. I'm going to record the, the, the culminating episode. Right. Um, and so I've already said, right. But I'm going to talk about, I started with credibility and I'm going to end it with credibility and it's way more, um, there's way more levels to it than you can imagine because everyone thinks they understand what credibility is, but they don't. And so I'm going to say, what it is. And, uh, also, right. Even though I've already kind of said it, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Like what the infrastructure should be like, what it's supposed to look like and how that actually takes our technology that we have, right. And aligns it with spiritual principles and natural law. And that's it. Right. We can't not do that, right? We're not going to go back to the 
Stone Age. And we're not going to continue to do it the way we are, because if we do, then we'll get one of two outcomes that are not desirable, right? We'll get one of two outcomes, which is self-annihilation and this uh, stasis, right? And that's the one that they, right, quote they, right? Um, the ones who are trying to guide us into this stasis box, that's the one they want, right? Because basically it's uh, like a human terrarium that uh, runs itself. As it is now, it's a human terrarium that needs constant management, right? <laughs> I uh, watched a movie this last weekend uh, called Temple Granville, right? <laughs> and it's about a uh, true story about a woman who uh, um, is, was autistic, and uh, she had an amazing mother that was hard on her, right? But also um, permitted her to uh, get an education and use her amazing um, mind, right? Her autistic mind to, to create a humane cattle feedlot, uh, a feedlot system, right? A humane system. And uh, what she said was, was, is what's good for cattle is what's good for business, <laughs> right? And it's ironic because I love this character um, and uh, was played great. Yeah, the, act, the actor did a great job, um, Claire Danes, right? Um, it was wonderful, but uh, it's irony, right? This is what they're building. They're building a, a better feedlot, right? Because right now it's inhumane. <laughs> they want to make it humane so that it kind of runs itself. You know, what's good for humans is good for business. And uh, yeah, so we don't want that. We don't want to be in a feedlot, right? That's not what we're about. That's not what we were. That's not what being alive as a sentient, intelligent being is supposed to be and yeah you know it's entertaining to talk about it and uh you know 10 years ago i put a quote on facebook i was like uh we're all fucking headed off the cliff and we can fall or we can fly you know and the thing is is that uh we've been falling right? Every generation has their, their own fucking cliff, right? And uh, it's kind of like we never really hit the ground. They make it seem like, um, you know, that's what it is. It's like we're constantly in this state of descent. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be terrible when the consequences actually come um, full circle. But what happens is, is just, we just continue to fall, you know, and it's the, the, the rapid deceleration, right, that actually does the damage when you fall. Falling doesn't do the damage. But my point is, is that, uh, right, we are, the damage is done as we are doing it, right? And most of us, get to live our lives, but a lot of us don't, right? 
And a lot of us don't get to live a life that, you know, the kind of life that was intended as a physical being, a physical, actually a divine being in the physical space, right? That's what we are. That's what I've been saying, right? So it's a, uh, right? Um, we got to break free of this uh, narrative, right? We got to break free of the story, of the story they tell us, of the story of who we think we are, right? Because it's not who we are, right? It's a big lie. The whole thing is a fucking lie. And everything is prepared to uh, get us to this place that we're basically here right now. And uh, yeah, yeah, human beings are resilient, right? We'll make it through. But um, I don't think that, right? I heard someone say, it might have been Esther Hicks or something, but it's like uh, joy is a as quality of a teacher as suffering <laughs> and perhaps even better, right? Um, this is a difficult school here on earth, but it is not intended to be how it is. We're not, it's not an individual journey, right? We all actually, in order to really uh, transcend, right? This physical space that we find ourselves in, in order to transcend that, we have to do it together, all right? And this is what I've been saying, the whole thing, right? It's, uh, it's not an individual thing. Right, you could become enlightened and never come back here, but we're all still here. We're all, all of all of us else. All the other ones are still here, right? Still uh, um, cycling through the wheel of karma over and over and over uh, until actually, like I was saying in the previous episode, that um, there's a point of no return. Right? We'll lose our soul and we'll just be uh, like uh, flesh robots living in this uh, AI-driven, automated, you know, the population kept at a constant rate um, kind of nightmare. And we don't want that. So I kind of rambled on, but uh, yeah. So when I'm talking here, I, I'm not an expert. Right. I only lived it. Right. I grew up in it. Right. I have the emotional um, damage that was done by the hippie movement. Right. And everyone's in denial about it. You know, my dad was. Um, I think if people actually came to terms with what it, the damage that it did, they uh, the guilt. Right. Would be kind of overwhelming. Right. So, right, I'm here to say, right, I'm here to say that uh, everything, <laughs> all of the stuff that we see out there, all of the big events are curated for us. It's all curated, right? And I'm not saying that everyone's a lifetime actor. I'm saying that all of the big wigs are and that everyone else is just kind of uh, programmed and conditioned into behaving a certain way. And it's real easy to uh, put us, right? Because put us in, 
in a place where we our behavior is predictable, right? Where it, it, the aggregate behavior actually drives towards a certain outcome, right? Um, individuals who are um, outside the norm uh, are irrelevant because they're just outliers and they don't really really add to the aggregate phenomenon of what it is of what civilization is so yeah if, if you claim to have figured it out like such as myself or anyone else all of these other truthers out here um uh big deal so what so what um until we can reach that critical threshold of of numbers of actual uh people who are awake it won't make a bit of difference and it'll all just be lip service and we can pat ourselves on the back again it's like more controlled opposition right it's just like recycling it's just like driving a prius right this mic right here and you know i apologize you know i love all y'all out there <laughs> i love everyone except for the psychos. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, self-aggrandizement, right? Until we can make this shift collectively, it's all just, you know, driving a Prius, um, taking your cans and your plastic, right? To the fake recycler. Um, so, yeah, there it is. Um, I right. I I I believe that because this is my passion, and that um, it's like people are born with gifts, you know, and that's what they're going to do with their life, you know. Use those gifts to uh, create value for others. This is what I was born with, and it. Uh, Right? I'm going to take it. I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll run with it. I'll fucking score too, because that's my attitude, right? I was 19, got my girlfriend pregnant and we had the baby, got married. You know, I, I had a, an infant and I was full-time, uh, student, <laughs> right? And I was like, I can do anything. I can do anything. Anything is possible, except apparently not. <laughs> All of that shit was just to get me ready for right now. Right? That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, who's with me? Who's with me? Who is fucking with me? Any of y'all? Right? Or are you just going to be like, haha, look at that guy? Right? Cause that's how it's been so far. So anyway, um, it's not a pity party I'm throwing here, right? It is just words, man, just words, ladies, just words. And, uh, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, but, uh, um, right. Wisdom is action. 
wisdom is not words. So if we can get to a place where we can uh, collectively, right, enough of us come together and uh, do the right thing, right? Spike, just like Spike said. Um, yeah, so anyway, intro over. Can't believe I spoke 20 minutes like that. Just to say that the hippie movement was a psyop, right? To swing the pendulum far enough so that the, the swing back would be harder than it would have been, right? We got fucked harder than we would have if it wasn't for the hippie movement. We would have, it would have been a different, right? But contrast is how we are set up, right? Contrast is how we are set up, right? They create, um, it's, a, it's packaging, it's marketing, <laughs> you know? It's a, um, perceived value is created through contrast. And sometimes, um, right, actually all the time, the contrast is set up for us so that, that we swing back harder the other way, right? And this is what uh, the hermetic principles, this is what polarity is about. This is what I talk about with the, the artificial rhythm of civilization, right? It's an artificial rhythm. It's not a natural rhythm. And so it isn't necessary, isn't necessary. Uh, we can break out of it. We can break out of it. So uh, anyway... Without further ado, listen to uh, me talk about the hippie movement and other things with Dan from the Cosmic Keys. Enjoy, and then I'll up upload uh, the other two interviews that I've done since then, and uh, and then expect uh, the culminating episode of uh, the Green Knight podcast uh, shortly. And uh, thanks for your patience and hanging in there. And thanks for spreading the word and, you know, making a real attempt at comprehending uh, these words, right? The speaker's words. And uh, take a look at Krishnamurti, please, right? This guy figured it out in that, right, there's nothing to fix, right? There's nothing to be done because we're already perfect. We're already perfect, okay? There's nothing to be done except to shed the artificial construct. And that's real easy. That's simple. Yeah, I mean, there was some, there's something good about the nuclear family. But that is like in the whole 50s ideal aspect, right? But uh, the hippie movement destroyed that. Like it, uh, it was like these values don't even make sense. And so we're not going to use them to measure what we're doing. And so, but then you have all of the consequences of that. You're saying idealistically we should do it a different way, but actually subconsciously you're still operating on the same principles as before. Welcome to the Cosmic Keys Podcast, Season 4, Episode 2. And on today's show, you guys get to listen to a very special conversation that I had with a new friend, Birch Driver, 
This was recorded during my road trip that I took through New Mexico and Arizona and Utah. And um, we cover a lot of really cool subject matter. We focus a lot about Birch's upbringing, kind of growing up on a commune with hippie parents and his reflection on how that went on the hippie culture and how some of it might have been a psyop. Um, we recorded this at Birch's house during my road trip, and it was just the best time ever. Um, Taos is a ski town, so we spent two days snowboarding. And on the mountain, we were basically podcasting the entire time. And it's really just cool and special to get out there in the world and meet people who are a part of this online internet community because it, it you know on the one hand it's great to have these digital relationships but um in in real life it's it's a lot more special and cool so thanks again to Birch for housing me on that road trip and offering up this awesome conversation that you guys get to hear right now um, if you didn't hear the astrology forecast of this week, it is on YouTube with more visuals and it's kind of a newer, newer and improved version of what I was doing before. So check that out. Um, I am down to, I want to say my last two astrology calendars, uh, to mail out. And then after that, the 22, the 2022 Cosmic Keys Astrology wall calendar is just sold out for this year. So thanks for everybody who ordered one. Um, and once they are officially sold out, I think I'm going to offer them up as digital copies as well. Um, and if you do want to check out my episodes, book an astrology reading with me, or order this calendar, just go to my website, CosmicKeysPodcast.com. So without further ado, guys, stay tuned for my awesome interview on the roof, recorded on the roof of Birch Driver's Taos, New Mexico house on my road trip that changed my life. So check it out. So this is the Cosmic Keys podcast. <laughs> I'm sitting here doing a field recording. <clears throat> Just smoked a spliff with Birch Driver. Um, if you guys don't know Birch, he has a lot of great ideas that he shares on his podcast. He did a really long series called The Green Knight. And I just remember, I don't know, hearing him when he was on Sam Tripoli and I, my mind was blown back then, so I followed him back then. And I'm actually sitting here at his house uh, in Taos, New Mexico, which is a really sick house. It's a really cool off-the-grid, um, cool kind of like rustic home. And we just uh, snowboarded for two days and everything, and we're just going to podcast, so... Birch, for those who don't know you, could you kind of 
tell us a little about your background and kind of what got you into this podcast sphere and community? Sure. Yeah. Um, the website where my recordings are stored is greennight.green. So you guys can find it like that. <clears throat> but my background is uh, my dad was kind of an overachiever, athlete, um, scholar at Michigan State, and met my mom there. She was an art major, fine art major. And they uh, ended up uh, getting pregnant <laughs> <laughs> with my older brother. And they like started a life and figured shit out. But my dad actually, uh, right at the end of his uh, college career, could either go to the Olympics for swimming in the breaststroke because he got, I think, second or third at national championships, NCAA, in like 60-something, I forget. But uh, he decided to volunteer to go to Vietnam instead. And so my mom was a, a Navy wife for several years while he was in Vietnam, and when he came back, he did an about-face on his perception of reality and um, became a hippie, basically. <laughs> like, full alternative, like, everything's bullshit, you know, because when you're in Vietnam and you have eyes that can see, right, it's very stark. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so they ended up moving from Iowa in, like, 71 to northern New Mexico where there was a hippie commune being started called the Llama Mountain. Uh, foundation. Well, that's what it ended up being, but it was like the Llama Mountain Hippie Commune. So I was born in Chicago, but then was like my toddler years was running around in in the woods uh, while the parents tried to like do this uh, um, commune thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess maybe what we're going to talk about a little bit today is like how the hippies weren't ready for the ideology of the of the commune kind of aspect. Yeah. I mean, th that's been on my mind this whole time because I kind of find it fascinating. Like I live in the West. I'm like a road tripper. I listened to jam bands growing up. I love psychedelics. Like for a minute there, especially in my younger years, like I kind of identified as a hippie. I didn't, it was kind of like the hipster thing. Like you don't want to actually admit it. Like, yeah, uh -huh. I'm a hippie, but the hippie thing in my mind back then was those were the good guys. Those people did something really revolutionary in their time and we're reaping the benefits and we have to continue it on. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud because <laughs> I don't believe that today so much, but here in Taos, I mean, it is like such a freaking beautiful enchanted place like the license plate in new mexico says like the land of enchantment and i mean i i've i've traveled all over colorado i've lived in wyoming and like the, the more northern parts but here it's basically where the desert meets the the beginning of the rockies right like the new mexico is where the rockies begin and here in taos i mean i'm driving around and it's like pueblo adobe buildings that that are actually like from the, the spanish colonial period so yeah but influenced by the native 
building technique. Like yeah. They just adopted their style. Basically. So I feel the Taos magic and I, it makes total sense that hippies would come here, but you like your, your perspective, we're going to, we're going to kind of dive into like why the hippie thing might've been a psyop. Like, and, and in general t- to me today, I'm like, what does it even fucking mean to be a hippie in 2022? Like, does anybody still call themselves that? And what are the chances that they've been, you know, drinking the propaganda Kool-Aid this whole time? And what does that say about like the, um, the ability of hippies to really get out of this system? But, but yeah, so, and I, I've got to say too, we're sitting at, at your house here, which your father built and it's like a really cool, it's shaped like it's a it's like a pentagon shaped, but I thought it was a, like octagon when I walked in. It has like a round, it's like a round teepee kind of esque yeah, log a, cabin, you upside know? down teepee truncated. The first room built, so think of a teepee upside down, and then you cut it in the middle and cut off the tip, mm-hmm. which would be facing towards the ground, and then you cut off the top, and then you you put a roof over that. And elevated on stilts. That was like the first. Room. But like your your dad just built this, which is crazy to me. Like how, like he knew how to do this construction, and he he created this. I mean, it ha- it's, it has like a circular feel to yeah. it because most houses just have four corners, you know. Yeah, and so his he became a carpenter, but uh, his uh, all of his peers would be like, "Why are you building it like that? You have to make so many compound cuts," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And that was his thing. He was like always really accurate cutting and yeah. like really accurate angles. And so building like this, you got, everything has a compound fucking cut. Yeah. Every fucking connection. Yeah. It's super so impressive. And it's, it has, like, it totally has like a Shangri-La like yeah. vibe. And so, I mean, just to back it up a little is, uh, <clears throat> I mean, we can say we're going to get into like what broke up the hippie thing. But mm-hmm. so after that happened, my dad moved up here, up onto this hillside, like away from all of the other um, people who are in a group still. Yeah. Like, and he lived and he uh, got a teepee and uh, the teepee has eight poles or more, eight to 12. Mm-hmm. And it's the walls slant in and it's like basically a tent. And he had, you know, a campfire in the middle, uh, powdered milk when he would come pick me up. I'd be like, I'm not having cereal. He'd try to give me cereal in the morning when I got up, and I'd be like, nope, because powdered milk sucks. Dad. Yeah. Is that vegetarian? Uh, no. It's just like, yeah. You just reconstitute the flakes of milk just by yeah. pouring water on it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's why he wanted to, he was like, the, I lived in a place where the walls slanted in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to do the opposite. Yeah, and you can see it. They point out. (laughs) It looks, it's dude. It it looks kind of eastern, you know, like the way they point out. But, anyways, it's an awesome house, and it's like right here in nature. I mean, we're on your roof, and you can see like snow-capped mountains. When and it's but it's like the shrubbery is more deserty. So, I was telling you on the mountain, like the fact that it that Taos ski valleys like but that threshold between the desert and the alpine mountain snow you really feel like you're kind of like crossing into a new realm and i i was telling you i think that has some 
some earth juju or like some type of magical paranormal effect. Yeah. And we're close to the Cosmic Highway, which is like southern New Mexico or southern Colorado, northern New Mexico, where the cattle mutilations were taking place. And they think it's like a higher paranormal uh, percentage. Yeah. Yeah. And so wherever there's boundaries, right? So like people talk about the uh, in-between time. Right. Like when the sun is setting, like that's when the other realms may be more closer to mm-hmm. our own. And like so any boundary is like there's going to be some energetic exchange. And here what you're basically describing is that altitude as you go up in altitude, it basically changes the climate. Yeah. You know, I went to Chile when I was 15, going from Santiago, Santiago all the way up the mountain mm-hmm. to the ski area, Colorado, La Parva. You go through seven different climate zones. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. It's so wild, though. But like that to me feels like little mini realms. And there, I feel like there there is different energy in each little microclimate. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's it has that here. And then the geology, too. There's also this rift um, fault that's right here in this valley. And so that's another dividing line. Another, and it creates this crazy geological features that we have here. And since you can see 100 miles on a clear day, um, you're just aware of everything that's around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the the geology here is off the charts, off the charts. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really cool. So to get back to, like, the hippie thing and, like, growing up, mm-hmm. like, what, what was that? What was that like? Like, what were your parents kind of... Like, how were they raising you in that environment and what did it look like? Yeah, so <clears throat> my memories are sporadic from those years, early years. Like, and we're talking like the early 70s, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, like my first uh, real vivid memory that is locked in, I think my earliest one was my third birthday. And my mom made me a chocolate bunny cake. Mm-hmm. But at that point, she had already broken up with my dad, and and we were living in the ski valley. Um, so that was like my first birthday um, away from my from my pops. Mm-hmm. But so what happened to the to the commune out there? It's it's uh, what what happened to my family is is that it ended up being kind of a party scene, right? With psychedelics, yeah. And the idea was is that everyone's supposed to work together. And, you know, have a community output. But that um, starts to break down immediately when when there's, like, conflict about what has to be done and who needs to do it, mm-hmm. right, and whose responsibilities. You know? <clears throat> and, uh, and so, and then there's this whole aspect about um, it's an alternative lifestyle, right? It's alternative to the mainstream and like the 50s, the golden age of America, kind of. We have the beatniks coming out, mm-hmm. right? And that was that was like the beginning of the hippies, right? It's like there's something fucked and fake about this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Know? And so there's a real aspect to the, to the alternative, the, the wanting of an alternative way, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're not psychologically prepared for what that means, like if you're still going into a commune situation with the old way of thinking, it's going to break down into conflict. 
Mm-hmm. And so what happened with, with my parents is uh, my dad had an affair with his brother's wife. <laughs> Dang. Right? And so it's like this whole this hippie aspect thing, the whole free love. Yeah. I don't even know how you would like talk about what that means. Well, it was totally new. That, it was a totally new concept. And they yeah. were just kind of like, I get the sense that th- there was like a structured, like uh, nuclear family upbringing for people of that age and then they were just trying out the free love thing and like i could imagine things kind of going off the rails real fast yeah and so that my mom was like i'm out (laughs) and she took me and my brother and found wherever she could to live like we lived in a garage for a little while and then we ended up you know, she got together with a bartender in the ski valley and, and we ended up, he was, became our stepdad pretty much pretty quick, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. but then we were up in the ski area and that's like a whole, it's like the contrasting element of the hippie life to, uh, the ski area life. It's, so was, the, was there a crossover? Like were hippies really into skiing? Uh, no. <laughs> that's interesting because yeah. they are now. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I think some of them, you know, the, the children like me mm-hmm. and I, all of my peers that also had hippie parents, right. You know, got into skiing for sure. If you do it, it bites you and you can't, you know, you're addicted to it. Oh yeah. But, uh, you know, getting back to this whole idea, I mean, New Mexico is interesting. I think we can angle in on, on, on this by talking about the history of New Mexico a little bit. Yeah, totally. And so for all y'all that don't know, it was a colony of Spain for 200 years before any white man stepped as, you know, like walked on the earth here. And so <clears throat> as this, the march west came, there was already this whole uh, structure and lifestyle of the Castilian Spanish and the natives, like, you know, had been murdering each other. And also working together and, you know, converting the natives to Christianity. And there's all this like crossover and the Spanish did have slaves. It's like, it's a a little known fact that there's a lot of that kind of thing going on here. Um, Like African slaves or native native slaves. slaves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, a lot of uh, like what happens, right? There's an interbreeding and stuff. And so we have a whole mixture. And then so... In 1847, the natives and the Spanish have are have their the way they interact is kind of equalized over the hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of stable, and they uh, they know what to expect from each other. And then we have the U.S. government claiming the New Mexico as a territory, and then installing a governor, you know. And then previous to that, the fur trade in the West it was these were white guys, French, Canadian, and you know, strange fucking wild dudes who like trapped right and then wintered in taos like taos was a place where these mountain men would come down and so you have this like weird anglo uh uh, minority here Mm -hmm. and that was uh preserved um over time and i think now it's kind of evening out but it was always there was less quote white people i mean there's no way to talk about it yeah than the spanish and, and the indians and uh but so there was this like Americanizing of New Mexico that happened in like the 1900s. Mm-hmm. And that whole effort 
if you all have heard of like uh, how Henry Ford was worried about the influence of black music. And so he, he lobbied Congress to like put in the schools like some kind of white culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is where we have square dancing. Yep. You know, and so me going to the elementary school here in the 70s, we were doing square dancing, which is like this hillbilly fucking shit. <laughs> and we have all of this like um, Spanish speaking and native culture here. Yeah. And, and so it's just like, and so the Spanish here are kind of like they become conservative uh, Democrats in a way. Mm-hmm. And, but almost more on the verge of like Republican, like really conservative. And, yeah. and so the way they looked at the hippies was like the way, you know, like um, you, you could imagine a redneck with a, <clears throat> a lifted truck fucking you know, talking shit on hippies, you know, like fucking dirty hippies, you know? Yeah. That's the way they regarded the hippies, like here. So you have this, this kind of like this conservative brown population, you know, that speaks archaic Spanish. Well, with a history and a culture, and then the hippie influx is more just like, it's more like gentrification almost, like young yeah. young people set, setting up shop because it's yeah an opportune place for it but um i'm wondering i've been thinking too a lot about the the hippie thing and then the native indian culture and how the hippies were obsessed with it or like you know trying to mimic it or what are your thoughts on um that on the connection between the hippies and like kind of emulating native culture maybe Mm -hmm. i don't want to say cultural appropriation but kind of that too like what do you think about that yeah and i think we're honing in on maybe the positive aspects of what made the alternative hippie uh, outlook seem good in a lot of ways and this is like getting back to nature right being yeah. in tune and in harmony with nature and of course the natives have that look you know yeah um and so i think that's what they're kind of taking from it you know flower power <laughs> right mm-hmm. um the whole I mean, the tree hugging came later, but it's that kind of thing. It's like um, getting away from the artificial, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I couldn't imagine, like, the 60s and 70s when this place kind of got invaded with people doing communes and people doing all these alternative things. Like, could you explain sort of what you know about the basics of that commune they were a part of, like what if, if it had like an origin or like if they had any type of guidelines or principles that they were using. Um, <clears throat> yeah. When you said you wanted to talk about this, it's like the, where I'm coming from with it is like as a child. Yeah. Um, who only realized later what the deal was. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you asked before, like what it was like, maybe like, um, growing up in that situation. And so I have that memory about the cake, but also another memory. We were at uh, Safeway. So Safeway was the food chain back then. Mm-hmm. And I was small. Um, I was like four or something. And uh, my dad would come pick us up sometimes. Uh, you know, And we were with him, me and my brother. And I see a, a can of bugle. Right. 
mm-hmm. you know that uh, tobacco brand, yeah, the light blue and dark blue with the bugler, mm-hmm. and that was my dad's tobacco. But he also used those cans to store other kinds of burnables. Okay, yeah. and I say I didn't know they sold that here or something that sold pot in the store. Said, yeah, and my brother was like, he slapped the back of my head. He was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of like one of the memories, you know. And so there was always this aspect of using psychotropics, right? That was part of the hippie deal, um, marijuana, acid, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there was a there was a bit of that, you know, like the kids are kind of running wild, and yeah. the the parents are having a psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure what happened, you know, to us during some of those times. You know? Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of. Um, I think I talked to another guy who's close to your age who was like a kid in the 70s and his parents were a part of like kind of like an ashram with a bunch of other little kids Mm -hmm. and they he he said there were aspects of it that he really liked but at the same time it was kind of a weird environment because the parents were off kind of like having transcendental experiences or whatever and it's like for me it's i find it really interesting with like the gen x generation because i feel like these things kind of molded you guys like even if it wasn't like a hippie family even conservative families in the 70 i've gathered that they just like the kids were totally roaming free basically and they were like the latchkey kids or like yeah so i what do you think that has to do with like your the your generation like on a bigger scale um, well, it was like a, it was like a, a fad for some people to be a hippie in a way because they abandoned it after a while, you know? Yeah. And what was your question again? Just like how, how on a bigger scale, like what are your thoughts on like Gen X, of the oh, way the they effect, were just yeah. raised that way, yeah. whether it was hippies or just sub- suburban people who... Because it, it seemed like everyone was just roaming free. There was little supervision. Yeah, I mean, there was some. there's something good about the nuclear family, mm-hmm. right? But that is, like, in the whole 50s ideal aspect, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, the hippie movement destroyed that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it, uh, it was like these values don't even make sense, and so we're not going to use them to measure what we're doing. Yeah. And so, but then you have all of the consequences of that when you're saying idealistically, we should do it a different way, but actually subconsciously you're still operating on the same principles as before, which is, you know, I'm, it comes down to, and this is so cliche, but it really comes down to everyone wanting status or like, yeah. So if you have a commune situation, there's going to be a, a jockeying for position you know mm-hmm. and but that won't happen if you don't have this adversarial mindset <laughs> so yeah. i just think that they weren't ready for it and so as children of that we were that was like our you know our formative years were in that confusion you know yeah and so we're when you were younger did you like 
kind of rebel against that in any ways or like take a totally different I kind of was into it like that's why I was aware of um this um transcendental aspect of of reality the you know the unseen because all of the hippie movement also included a lot of the ancient knowledge like yeah know, the buddhism and well the and new age movement yeah it was like cherry-picked ancient knowledge <laughs> and so it's all that's all good stuff too and ram das what that was the Lama foundation was his residence that was like his base that's crazy yeah, yeah. so did your parents like meet him yeah it's and wild. then uh my dad hung out with i don't know if you've heard drone below Melchizedek. he's goes through the truth or circles because uh he'd been talking about this shit for fucking ever Mm-hmm. And he used to live over in Cuesta. My dad knew him. And then Jim Hertak uh, was his neighbor. He lived right over there. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look up the name Jim Hertak, he's still fucking rocking. He writes these crazy books. And he had powers. My dad would tell stories about him. And so the stories that my dad would tell, like about Buddhist monks that could melt snow, and, mm-hmm. you know, just by sitting there. And these other stories about this his crazy neighbor who had like powers, man. Like what do yeah. they call it? The cities. You, yeah, the cities, right? Yeah. One story he told me is that my dad had an old uh Jeep truck. Like it looks like a Jeep, but it has a truck bed mm-hmm. and the side runner boards. And this road was so gnarly back in the day, right? It's like two and a half miles of two foot deep ruts. Yeah. Right? And so it was just mud. There was no like pit run or gravel on the road at that point and they were cruising up him and jim it was real bumpy and uh you know it's like on those old bench seats you're like hitting each other you know yeah because there's no bucket seats and stuff <laughs> and my dad looks over and, and he kind of like does the shrug and he's like sorry and jim her starts going like this like he's raising a cloud kind of right? <laughs> and the suspension gets all light and easy and smooth just floated yeah, over it. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so there was this, you know, like growing up there, I didn't rebel against it. I was, I was like, yes, there's something here. You know, yeah. Was, you mm-hmm. know, which is probably why I kind of had an awakening uh, at a young age, uh, a realization. Like what, what did that entail and how, how old were you? I guess I was like 15 and I had a lot of trouble like integrating with my peers. Mm-hmm. And I had just basically, I'm going to stop trying to um, get accepted in yeah. the group. You know, I'm going to stop trying to like present myself. Yeah. And it's like, if they want to be my friend, then they will. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so it was that kind of thing where it's like. You kind of just, yeah, stopped caring about the herd. But uh, yeah, so, but like later. Like, because we're having this conversation now and it's like it's come up in the truther community, this aspect of the psychological operation of the hippie movement. Yeah. And the whole electric Kool-Aid acid testing guys, you know, like possibly agents, you know. um, Laurel Canyon. Yeah, that come in with this awesome alternative ideas, you know, like Hunter S. Thompson, his quotes are fucking great. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, and I, th- time, I thought he like, was the shit in high school, but now I'm like, he was kind of like, I've heard, even heard he was like semi-pedo with hooking up with like yeah. young girls. And and that's what I, you know, I'm hesitant because some of the trauma that I experienced, like 
no one knows, right? So I haven't told anyone about it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So it's like, but there is that aspect on these communes that predators would infiltrate those fucking places. I've totally heard that too. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't want to make an assumption about that one that your parents are a part of, but it's even, it reminded me of an ep, uh, that, what was that fucking show called on HBO? True Detective, like the second season. There was something about like the female character, her parents were on a commune and then something traumatic like that happened to her or some, something was bad about it. You know, it was the undertone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it definitely, I mean, it's so wild. Cause like this world we're in now was totally built by the boomers and the hippies and a lot of, like a lot of our technology and like, cultural things like music rock and roll the record industry art did like we're we're sort of like reaping the benefits of that but we're also i mean even back then like it was just easier to get by with with less and it was easier to buy a home and the the economy of like the post-world war ii was like booming yeah and now we're in such a period of decline like insane inflation and i don't know the the boomers own all of the wealth like gen x has like a sliver and they were the hippies yeah and 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 so it's it's just crazy to think about but um what could you expand a little more on what you were starting to talk about like the the psyop factor like what makes you think that it really was kind of psyopy um that it, it it comes bearing all of these um gifts you know mm-hmm. but it has this seed of poison and so no matter how much good you have if you have one little element um of the whole thing gets poisoned mm-hmm. and uh i think it was a psyop because it had this effect of fracturing um the old structure yeah and you can say that that's a good thing because the old structure was shit. Yeah. But they know how shit works and they have to prop up an alternative in order to get the objective that they want. Mm -hmm. So they always create these massive um, ideological pressure differences. Yeah. And so it's like, it's almost like sacrificing a piece in chess. They know that they have to go back in order to go forward. Yeah. And, And so it's like, they, destroyed it so that they could actually come in and build it up the way that they want to with the new information Mm -hmm. and so like more to that like how the boomers were like this was like kind of a fad and this relates to like this idea that jordan peterson has which is this whole clean your room thing yeah you know like i think everyone knows what that means right it's like before you try to fix the world fucking fix your own shit yeah which is that's a valuable comment but if it's like if it means that you're gonna um cleaning your room means um integrating and being well adjusted to the existing system then are you really doing anything by that point by the time your room is clean are you going to want to change it (laughs) yeah you know and so i feel like that's what the boomers did it was like kind of like this like they became hippies and uh uh, you know, lived dirty, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then 
realize that it has to there's no there's no practical aspect to this yeah and so they basically do an, another about face and join corporate america yeah you know? and and they really like joined corporate america but then i mean branding and advertising was always a thing but they totally took it to the next level yeah. and like yeah all of the we're, we're so marketed to and marketing is like a type of magic it's manipulation because you're trying to trick someone into buying your product or service and yeah so yeah like we're in that world now and if you like i am always sort of screaming from the rooftops that like something is really off with this world and we have to do something about it but um it's interesting i i love going all the way back and and talking to like your like you have real life experience with it you know and i'm just curious like of that trajectory from the hippie movement to 2022 like where where did things i'm just curious about that timeline in general i don't know if yeah, you have any like, thoughts on that it seems like there was like um that it was like that you know the movie hair it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Yeah. You know, and that's like 71. Mm-hmm. But Aquarius, the people are saying now it's just now dawning, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like this prep. Um, but I, I lost my thread there. Can you? Yeah, just, I mean, kind of like the period from the 70s to the 80s yeah. to the 90s. Like, <laughs> there, there's a lot that got us here to this, like, kind of like technocratic emerging like fucked up world and i'm not trying to be pessimistic because i think there's definitely hope but something went awry and um yeah it's a it's almost like what we wanted from the hippie movement like was this new trajectory this new way of being you mm -hmm. know um was abandoned and they doubled down hard yeah on the old way and so it's almost like the pendulum swing back from that made it worse in a way yeah like where we're at now but uh, there's also the aspect of like those that are trying to direct this where they want um they you know it's the whole problem uh reaction solution yeah like they create the problem and then uh they create you know then they have the solution ready to go you know yeah and even like the I mean, just the breaking, the breaking up of the nuclear family, the moving of women into the workforce in the day, Mm -hmm. the growth in daycare and then public schooling, which public schooling is free daycare, like creating that structure where people will just like drop their kids off at school. And it's basically free daycare. Like, yeah. I feel like that started with the hippies with like the break, the fracturing of the nuclear family and then the fracturing of like f- women and being at home versus being at work. Mm-hmm. And I think we all we all did the normal schooling, uh, which taught us about Christ- Christopher Columbus or freaking mm-hmm. the mitochondria of a, a cell. Like, yeah. But now they're straight up like talking about trans shit with little kindergartners and like 
the parent, I feel like this world is, it's so normal. Like just drop the kids off and then they learn what they learn. But like, it's becoming clear that what they're learning is fucked up these days. So like, it's, it really seems like a sinister, sinister thing. And that, that movement, the hippie movement, it was really rebellious and it was, it's like that fracture was like, I feel like it, it kind of is what, what got us here. And it took a while to get, to get here. Yeah. Um, you know, about the nuclear family. So, but that really isn't our natural state either. That's no. also an imposed structure that altered a previous structure, which was this um, extended family. Yeah. You know, where we all, you know, uncles all the way to great grandparents were, you know, and that's the, the real commune, you know, like I think our natural state is actually, if you go all the way back, you know, and I like to do that. I like to think about how things started because then you can visualize the initial conditions with uh, a simpler construct. It's not so complex. Mm-hmm. And so you can recognize the factors that lead to certain things. And uh, so it's just like if we just visualize hunter gatherers, right? We know mm-hmm. that that mode of existence happened, you know, whatever your version of history may or may not be. There was hunter gatherers. Well, and, there still are today. Yeah, yeah. And but there is this like a hunter gatherer has technology, right? And it, their whole lifestyle is based around technology, you know. And so when, if you can imagine like the first stone tool, like the discovery of that, um, the usefulness of a sharp edge, like how did that happen? And it's always told like the, it it was like some kind of, uh, discovery of the males, you know, Mm -hmm. in some kind of violent aspect, like they discovered that it could cut flesh really a lot easier, but in all likelihood in the hunter gatherer mode, right. Uh, the females are out there fucking digging in the dirt. Yeah. Right. They're going to look for something to, to make their job easier. And so it's likely that tools themselves um, are a female invention, you know, and we're mm-hmm. only adapted later. But the point I'm getting at is, is that our nature is, um, to be able to discern value, you mm-hmm. know? And so the contrasting value of having a tool versus not is stark. And yeah. so people recognize that and it creates an organization around the technology. And so in order to preserve that value, there has to be cooperation, you know? Mm-hmm. And and there you have to share the information, and so it's almost like the or, origin of organization of human organization is first from cooperation, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, like even just in general, and yeah, but like so that's kind of what the hippies were saying. Yeah, you know, and so they like have this something that's true, but then it's um, almost like set up to fail. Yeah. I mean, because I was going to say, like, when I'm looking ahead at the future, I am picturing like having like a bunker or like a a homestead or something and to literally be outside of the mainstream in a more aggressive way almost than the hippies were, you know, but like something will I don't I don't picture it as like a free love thing. I picture it more 
I mean, I don't know. It's I picture it kind of more conservative, but still like the commune aspects and exactly what you're talking about, like extended family, like, like even, I mean, I even, I'm, I'm lucky. I had a really good relationship with all my cousins and aunts and uncles. We lived close by and my aunts and uncles like raised me too, you know? And like, it's, it's your, your, your biological mother and father are important obviously, mm-hmm. but like, it's like, who's actually raising raising me in in a situation like that it seems normal to just have like a wide support system but do you think do you think like the hippie ideology or philosophy was what led to that downfall that makes that different than kind of what i'm talking about today i think it's the it's straight up it's more like the whole thing about do what i say not what i do yeah you know that's hypocrisy. Um, right? Just like, yeah, kind of like, like, do you think it was like the, the drugs or like the, the attitudes or hedonism that made the commune thing not work for them? It's a, uh, that they, you can see the um, concept makes sense, right? intellectually yeah it makes sense just like how i was just describing how cooperation is probably a a more of a driving factor than competition right it makes sense intellectually but you know putting it into action you know what does it require Mm -hmm. and it's the it's your thinking really right it's the how it's your worldview it's how you see others and the way you relate to them and whether you see them as competition or as you know um the inverse of that and I, yeah. I think it's if you're always in an adversarial mindset, it's always going to deteriorate back to the old way. You know, and mm-hmm. it's almost like government is a way to manage that adversarial mindset and saying that it's natural for us, like it's our nature to be fucking this way. And so it requires government in order to keep us in check. And my argument is, is that that's actually not the case. It's our condition to be this way. We are conditioned to be this way, you know. Yeah, I mean, even like, um, I mean, if we were living hunter-gatherer lifestyles, there would probably be some like sportsmanship or, you know, competition for fun. But I even think like the cutthroat, we're raised to be kind of cutthroat, even just like with grades, like who gets the highest score? Yeah. Like who, like who makes the A team in, in sports. Yeah. Then when you, you go to college and then you go to the corporate yeah. world and it's like, it's very, all a competition and yeah. it filters you out. And if you win, like you get selected to be at the top, you know, through the filter, then your worldview is perfect to continue the pattern. And I even know some like <laughs> some like nat- men who are like just natural, naturally very competitive. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that masculine urge, but uh-huh. you could just see it being funneled into the, like the, the competition of the corporate environment. And it's like it dude, maintains that, the the supply and demand value structure. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're just yeah, you're trying to be competitive and, and be a shark and be a boss, whatever. But you're also kind of getting played and it's it's not super macho to me to do it that way um yeah i mean more about the competition aspect versus cooperation um if you think about it 
um, in terms of our ability to recognize value, right? Mm -hmm. Um, then we also can recognize value in others and in ourselves. And so if, for example, we are being trained to, to make a hand axe, you know, by mm -hmm. someone who already knows how, right? And we, we do it and we start doing it. Now we become the maker. Mm -hmm. Then your mind is going to act on that and discover, right? Just by the action of doing it, it's going to find better ways to do it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, that's what we are built to do, mm -hmm. you know? That's what we're built to like, um, be creative. And, uh, so people living and interacting, right? The more living that's done, the more value is created because that's our nature. Mm -hmm. And that's an unlimited value model, but that doesn't work. Right. If we're, if we want to maintain competition, we have to say that the supply is limited. Right. Yeah. And how do we not, <laughs> how do we it, like to check out of that game, you would have to, <laughs> not use money or not like well, pay taxes and all that crap. I mean, the, there's a practical aspect of using a medium of exchange. Uh, but you know, like when you start selling the medium, that's meta and it changes everything that makes it. So now you have to use supply and demand on value itself. And mm -hmm. that actually diminishes or raises the value of people because they live to make money. It's like the, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when the currency is being diminished, it's like our lives are being diminished. You know? Yeah. So what's your, I'm like, I'm curious again, where you think we are in the timeline and like in these past two years with COVID, with the vaccines, with all this stuff, where are we right now? And like, where do you where do you think it's heading? Like, do you think this whole COVID thing is just going to kind of go away forever and we'll just go back to normal? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, how did we, how, what was the buildup to this too? Well, I think a lot of us think that the urgency is, is um, pretty intense right now. They're like, there's a sense of urgency. Right? Oh yeah. But then, uh, you know, you can also go back in the past and like, there's people saying the world is going to end in every generation. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to this go around, um, like that it's, there is, you know, like we could let the fucking pattern continue and just act like that's how it's going to be and that humans are resilient. We'll make it through, <laughs> you know, yeah. even, even if there's only 10,000 of us left to continue. Mm -hmm. But, uh, <clears throat> I think, yeah, there, this time there is something that uh, we kind of have to do something, you know, to avoid what happens. And if you look at it like what's you, you mentioned timeline. So like what's happening, like how what's happening to society. And mm -hmm. So you look back at what society has done over over through the past, you know, the pattern that is exhibited and it exhibits the same pattern. Right. It repeats its pattern. Mm hmm. You know, like that's the Groundhog Day effect. You know, like 50 years ago, there's there's a lot of fucking relevant shit. They're saying the same words as today. Yeah. And it's like, are we going to just keep doing that same thing, talking around? You know, like Bill Hicks, some of the most profound shit ever said. Dude was like doing his thing in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So yeah, there is a trajectory. Um, and to me, it seems like if we continue to operate in this way, there's, you know, two outcomes, which is we destroy ourselves or which it seems like what they're trying to do is to keep the same pattern, but at a manageable scale. <laughs> yeah. And that's like what I call it in my podcast is that's going into stasis. Like we're going to lose our ability to, to, to uh, learn. Like we're just going to stay this way. You know, mm -hmm. Almost like we lose our souls. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think there's, there's another fucking option for us. Mm -hmm. And that's just to abandon this, what we think is our nature, but really it's a false contract. <laughs> yeah. And, but everyone still talks about it like it's our nature to, um, that will always make the selfish decision, mm -hmm. you know? And then that pattern on all of these individual interactions in society on aggregate, if you have that adversarial mindset, there's a pattern that, that comes from that on mm -hmm. aggregate, right? And that's where they have this game theory shit and they use the D-Wave computers to run scenarios. Mm -hmm. So they basically know if like, it doesn't really matter like what individuals do. If we have this aggregate pattern, we're going to get the desired outcome. And uh, so you were, you were saying like, what is it about the hippies? You know, like that they could see that it was good, right? But they didn't have the psychological um, uh transformation that was required to actually operate under those conditions mm -hmm. and so I'd, I'd say that's that's what society has right we can like there's not hope i don't i'm not like a i'm optimistic but i don't like the word hope because it's it's the polar opposite of despair <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so it's like hope and despair require each other to exist right yeah and so yeah, I think that there's a, the idea is, and it's all cliche, it's hard to talk about stuff anymore because words get used so much and then they can become flat. But it is this, the value model that we have is the scarcity value model, which it reinforces competition because everyone perceives as there being a limited supply. And so I better get mine before there's none left. Yeah. And, uh, but it, if we actually built a, a system or created the infrastructure for a system to just promote living, you know, yeah. to facilitate living, then all of that living will just generate so much fucking value. It'll be exponential. And it happens anyway, except that we are governed, you know, and we are chopped back down. I keep thinking it's like a money thing. And it's, I don't mean currency in general. I mean, like the US dollar, like the, the taxation we have to do, the just going to public school to like learn <laughs> how to, how to fit into the system, even though they don't even teach us how to pay our taxes, Yeah, but just like the, it, the system, it, the system, the system, the system that's so bad. They want you to be a consumer. Yeah. And it, Not it, you know, nothing else really. Like, I feel like there needs to, cause, cause the conclusion is, yeah, like the hippies were not, were not perfect. They did not achieve their goal. But there is an urge to to escape the system today more than ever because it's more of a beast system. It's more all-encompassing. And, yeah, they were on to the right thing by trying to get out of it 
Um, but they, it, it seems like they just basically LARPed and then went right back into it and yeah. kind of enhanced it with their like yeah. creative, like fucking art, artsy marketing techniques and yeah. propaganda techniques or whatever. But like now more than ever, it's like, no, some type of off the grid commune seems more necessary than, than ever because what, what happens if, World War Three takes over. What happens if the technocrats create a digital ID and we're in this super beast system? What happens if the supply chain gets fucked up and like we have to feed ourselves? So like something's got to like with yeah, we, hip. It's like the hippie thing is like more important now than ever. But we cannot do wrong, do the wrong things that they did the yeah. first time around. Yeah, and we need to remove our dependency, right? And so that's what this is, growing your own food and all that stuff. It's so that you won't be left with no option except to accept their offer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Which is, that's all fucking excellent. But we are, like, so, yes, we do that, but we're all not going to be bunkering down separately. Like, mm -hmm. uh, we live to create value for others that's just how we do things like what are what else are you going to do with your life except do something that others appreciate yeah you know what i mean that's the virgo that's the virgo <laughs> mantra is service like serve 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 yeah and so it's like that's almost a better survival model really when it comes down to it if you make sure that everyone else around you um isn't desperate yeah right then you you're you will be better and so, if I mean, just this other thing that I say, too, about this, it's a strange, we need this fucking self-sufficiency, but at the same time, we got to understand that we need a social structure, too. A solid structure, yeah. I mean. And the, the whole social contract and stuff, that's what the libertarians, and that's what, like, I think Sam Tripoli, like, he's wary of that aspect of it. Like, anything that starts talking about, like, public ownership right. is, like, off-limits, even though... What I say is, is that all of technology is ours, all of ours together, because it would not exist if all of us had not lived all of these lives, you know, all of these lives had not been lived previously. Mm -hmm. You know, the only reason technology exists is because we all fucking created value for each other. In yeah. The past. And uh, so that it really is, it's, it's unlimited, man. It's unlimited. Um, well, it's like the, what do you think? This is making me think again of decentralization, yes. which is like on the, the on everybody's tongue. Um, but it's hard to grasp. Like what it what does decentralization look like for you if if it's an I ideal mm -hmm. decentralization? Well, everyone talks about it with in terms of, you know, this alternative fiat currency. Mm -hmm. You know, but it is again a fiat currency. We can get back to that later. But decentralization just means that there's no fucking uh entity that is taking a portion of your um life's work from you <laughs> mm -hmm. you know so it's like the exchange the way people live is we exchange value with each other so decentralization just means that there's no central authority um that rules over the exchange yeah you know it's pretty simple yeah <laughs> but it's asking a lot but uh it's also understanding where value comes from like I say it over and over again, without people living, there is no value in, in civilization. Mm -hmm. There's no value without people living. 
And so that is all required. The parasite that lives on our current exchange, right, the central control of our current exchange, um, is living off of us. Totally. You know? And so decentralization just means like we fucking remove our natural way of being, which is to exchange value with each other from that fucking parasite. It's crazy, yeah, because I to- that's something well we I I was comparing my birth chart to yours and we both have the south node in the twelfth house of being a hermit and the north node in the sixth house of daily work, daily grind mm-hmm. and t- and it took me a while to get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I mean I I do ultimately want to work for myself and make value f- for myself. Mm-hmm versus working for a company but even just i mean basic shit like taking out the trash like that is valuable like you're and you're doing it boots on the ground and it weirdly brings fulfillment like if if there's been times in my life where i have been super hermity and like sleeping in and just like chilling and like thinking 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 it's all in my head 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 but like doing some type of boots on the ground thing in the world makes it i feel like i'm less prone to depression when i'm constantly doing that so and it's funny too you got a lot of virgo in your chart and what you've been saying i was like wait that's all like virgo right there (laughs) which is good yeah and that's where you will end up with these contradictions right because i can say all this shit but you know my life's a mess (laughs) you know what i mean i haven't done the uh the Jordan Peterson method, right? Right. So when I'm saying these kinds of things, it can sound like maybe I'm just going to go here because it's kind of an issue. Mm -hmm. It can sound like, um, it's like, Hey, (laughs) what about me? Yeah. You know, it's like, I want a system that includes everyone so I can be included. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But, uh, yeah. And so there's this individual and collective aspect. And we are, you know, we have to come to terms with the idea that we are individual and collective at once. Mm -hmm. And so the decentralizing the exchange is just understanding that we are the value. We create the value and that you can't have a token that represents the value of a human being. Yeah. You cannot tokenize a human being. And so it's making that understand. It's making that leap. Right. Mm -hmm. That understanding that everyone is infinitely valuable. Yeah. And that to um, have this structure that diminishes, that makes it so that the design of our culture is is um, reduced down to a tiny fraction of the population that has actually navigated this educational system. Right. And so it's a filtering process. Mm hmm. <clears throat> and uh, and that's a central fucking system mm-hmm. you know? but uh, to get back to decentralization it's the exchange the whole reason we are specialists we exchange value with each other is because we have technology and we have lived that way for thousands of generations so it's in us right and so we also have to decentralize the means of production I don't think and that's like something that sounds communist. And so that gets yep. people off guard. Triggered. <laughs> but you have to understand it from a logical perspective. It's like that's the whole reason that we need to exchange with each other is because we all do things to, that is a collective output. 
right? Which is all based on technology. Yeah. Because um, we're all not generalists. We're all not doing all the hunting and planting all the food, right? And making all of our own clothing and building our own structures. You know, we just don't do it like that. And it, it would be silly to be like, okay, we're all going to do that now. You know, <laughs> we could have, we can decentralize the means of production where actually um, products um, are made not to be, you know, like the capitalism is profit from waste, right? That's mm -hmm. how it works. Or basically, <laughs> if you go into production, then the products are already sold in my mo in the model I'm describing. It's already sold out. <laughs> you don't fucking produce two million units on a business model that means if you sell one third of your inventory, you've made a massive profit, and the the rest of the two thirds is just going to go to you know on sale. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the means of production is so fucking important. And we got to bring it back to the community. And we have the technology to do that now. We do. Well, what about like the huge, the crazy, like global shipping and like Amazon and like, like how, what is that going to look like to get those monolithic like companies or institutions like back to the people? Like, is that, would, would they, can they even exist when they're that big? If they're in, and be we of just, the people? We, uh, remove our dependency on them and we abandon them <laughs> yeah because we don't need those giant institutions yeah we can develop the logistics that you know they have it's a logistics company that company amazon you know we mm -hmm. can develop that in a way that makes sense you know there's mm -hmm. no reason why the body of society has to be so bloated and disgusting you know yeah well, why can't we design it fucking right and then, but then you get into this, like, well, who's going to decide what's right? <laughs> and so we have to stay very general about that. And, and so it's really about the exchange and the means of production. So the exchange, we need a freedom exchange. We need a living exchange, right? Which is the idea that um, humans are the value. And, well, they are, yeah, they are. And in our current model, it's loss that creates the most value in our current economic system. You know, like hedge funders are the most are the richest people on earth because yeah. they hedge the system and they bet on loss. <laughs> and so that that is built into our economic system. That is the scarcity model. It requires a fucking periodic reduction of mm -hmm. supply in order to revalue the supply. You know? Yeah. And that's why money has this, you know, inflation, this expansion aspect is because they're selling money. They have to revalue the supply of money. So they have to remove it from right from the marketplace. And right now we're flooded with all these, you know, printed dollars and they're just printing them hand over fist. Right. But the elite are just extracting as much of that out of the system as possible at the fastest rate as possible. They're doing they're, a great and job. That's their <laughs> sacred duty in their mind. They're doing their sacred duty. And you'll see that all these companies are now way more wealthy than they were, right? Yeah. And so, and they're just like, we're doing our part because we're reducing the money supply. <laughs> Such a scam. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring up, we kind of, me and you have been podcasting, quote unquote, without recording anything for two days straight because we skied for two days and then, <laughs> but we were kind of talking about feudalism. Mm-hmm. And I really see that starting. I mean, I could totally picture that. And 
I keep thinking, you know, like the old system's got to go, the new system's got to come in, the crash has to happen, like the the hippies fractured fractured our structures to like rebel against it. But it's it's I'm getting this like flashback of like you know the medieval the early the dark ages you know when everything did crash and then it, it was feudalism like do you think we're that could happen too like if if the elite kind of just create a feudal system when and just let everything totally crash but then they'll be good in their castles or whatever mm-hmm. well i think actually it all, it has never changed it's the same model from back then it's just paid protection right? yeah it's just way um it's in a kind of secondary fashion now because actually the rise and fall of, of of currency is actually what makes people terrified right mm-hmm. and so in feudalism is like threat of death you do yeah you know, right and this is the same thing except that it's no one's like pointing a threat um, of going broke or whatever yeah. yeah and so you it's like our only option is to accept the offer you know of this solution to this problem you know yeah and so i still think it's the same thing it's still basically they're leveraging death so that you'll accept the offer that they're giving you right yeah so it is it already is feudalism it'll just get more it's like this technocratic aspect of it will make it like so it just runs itself (laughs) you know you won't need enforcement you won't need your fucking soldiers you know eat the bugs in your pod (laughs) plug into the metaverse and forget about it and also like if you fucking jaywalk one you're gonna get diminished social credits Oh God, my social credit. I bet. I bet there already is a social credit score, and I bet mine is real low. Well, there is. It's called your credit score. Yeah, <laughs> but the social side is where I'm really freaking in the red. Um, but yeah, do you see what I say? What I mean about that's something I talk about. That like the model of civilization has been the same offer from the beginning. It's the same structure, except that it. They've modified it over time to actually be more efficient, and to it seems like we're we have a parasite, and it's kind of like the kind that that fungi that infects an ant and makes it run up to the highest tree and just stand there until that <laughs> spore pops out of its head. Yeah, right. It's almost like we've been in, we're just furiously building something for this whatever it is, you know. And it's almost like some people say that there's AI, like there's could be that there's an entity like there is like some kind of entity that's trying to become a god and the only way to do it is to create its own fucking universe yeah and so it's like we're furiously building the hardware in order to create that well i've even heard that you know they talk about the singularity like the singularity will happen when ai becomes sentient and it's it speeds up faster than we can handle and then it takes over like i've heard that that already happened and that like we're kind of being like in a parasitic way like zombie walking to like build 5g towers or to spray stuff in the sky so that it has a yeah. medium to travel through the air yeah and it's so like sci-fi sounding, but it's really freaking accurate. And like whatever that AI and like AI could just be an entity, not a non-physical entity that like leads us towards building its skeleton or its whatever, yeah. like sensory organs so that it can, and we're, it's running the show. But well, like, what if, 
like that's kind of like saying like okay so it's gonna birth itself ai will be birthed it will be born and what you're saying is maybe it's already born and we're already like kind of building its thing for it yeah but maybe the like the idea is is that it is like this kind of higher dimensional being that uh um would require ai in order for it to inhabit this space that's that's yeah Yeah. exactly what i'm basically saying and then but it's like it's true we we're already infected for for six thousand years (laughs) yeah you know and we've been furiously building towards this point and that's why maybe this is the the crucial aspect now the crucial time because it's almost maybe the singularity is about to arrive another way that i describe the singularity is also when the moment that we lose our souls you mm-hmm. know because the ouroboros to me is the symbol of humanity right the serpent eating its own tail mm-hmm. and uh every iteration right there's less tail yeah there is a limit to this pattern right it'll and singularity right if you think of the ouroboros it's becoming it's getting tighter and tighter yeah it's going to become a singularity right it's at which point we run out of tail yeah <laughs> It's crazy. And um, if you want to go really nuts, dude, like this line of thinking makes me think about this concept that <clears throat> of reincarnation and that when we accepted the original offer, like like Garden of Eden style, mm-hmm. right? The knowledge of good and evil, that our souls, um, we base our souls signed up for it. And so now we've disconnected from god or nature right mm-hmm. and so now we are in this loop right and we re- reincarnate because we have disconnected we're in this separate loop right and all of us dying we're going to the wrong place mm-hmm. you know and the, you know allegorically like the moon is some kind of soul recycling fucking station or whatever right? i've i've heard that and I've, i mean I, and i've heard christians say you're on the wheel of samsara until you, you open your life up to jesus so yeah. that's a compelling argument for the christian thing for sure But i think that's all just part of it too you know yeah i mean um so yeah that's with the velikovsky heresies too because when Mithras came on the scene, it's basically that sacrifice could be the, the restructuring of the solar system. Like he destroyed like this Crete, this entity, right? Had the power. Maybe it tried to do on Mars what it's doing here, right? Mm-hmm. But it always fails. He just didn't get it right. But he's going to keep trying just like we do. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so Mars gets destroyed. Fucking the moon gets deposited. Our the axis gets tilted, everything changes in the solar system, right? That's like the sacrifice of the bull. Yeah. You know? And that's the moment at which everyone living on Earth accepted uh, this new offer of, like, this sacrifice is going to be the way that we drive things forward now. Mm-hmm. You know? And if you think about it, like, that's how our money system works, right? Some of us, you, you accept the offer for civilization, most of you will be safe some of you will be sacrificed to maintain the this illusion that you you require us in order to be safe right we have to always have the threat of death on the horizon yeah well it is always on the horizon and so if we're that's the the hack if you don't fear dying there's no power 
Yeah, there's no control. I wanted to ask you to, because this, because um, this isn't really talked about a lot, but like manhood and masculinity, because like you're a father, you're pretty athletic and stuff. Like, what do you do? You think what conversations should men be having about manhood these days? Like, because it seems like having those conversations is is frowned upon you know like it's the anti anti straight white male era like what do you think about all that yeah um you want to be balanced like you just say that up front right mm -hmm. you don't want to be uh over balanced on one side or the other right uh and but we have in this a lot of people talking about this uh in the woke community quote woke there's like all these beta males right mm-hmm and that's like, that's a type of imbalance, right? Yeah. I could, you know, the criticism of that is valid, but at the same time, alphas are the same imbalance on the other side, mm -hmm. you know, and that, you know, the supreme alpha male, like I experience it as like, and I've heard, uh, rubber bandit talk about this, you know, that guy from Ireland, he was like, you're at the gym and there's a dude in the fucking dressing room. You're just trying to get out of your fucking gym shorts and he's shaving his ass in full view of everyone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like that, that's like that fucking almost full alpha, like, you know, in a way like this Roman bath kind of thing. Yeah. Like, check out my cock. I don't care. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So, I mean, I use that as an example, but I think that's all imbalance on the left right we are on the, right we're all about like the material right yeah not the intuitive and so yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna be quote real man and i don't say in my opinion because i think this there's some real truth here right i hate it saying that now because mm -hmm. in my opinion it's like okay i'm just caveat this is just something i'm throwing out there so we can have a discussion <laughs> you know yeah but, uh, yeah, no, a balanced, like, if you're going to be um, a real man, you got to have to be balanced, man, balanced. And so you have to have those feminine aspects, too. Yeah, because it is cringe when you could just see someone, like, trying to be macho just for the sake of trying and, like, pushing everything else down and being like, how do I be super manly or super competitive or aggressive or... Yeah. whatever and you i can see i'm like dude stop trying so hard yeah. but i i do i am irritated though that like i kind of realize in my like education and programming like basically in the background a foundational thing was like gender doesn't exist gender doesn't matter men and women are equal equality equality equity and i'm trying i am in the process of like taking that trash out in my psyche and just being like no there is gender there is men and women and i am i'm more curious like how should men be you know if they are if they're men so yeah and um, the seven hermetic principles the seventh principle is fucking the principle of gender mm -hmm. and gender is aspected in every portion of the universe right it's fucking everywhere and so to deny this 
the way that our bodies are like a mini universe mm-hmm. and that they exhibit gender is unnatural. And it's, it's like, and it works though, if we're all going to be living in the metaverse or whatever, or if we're all going to be like, um, you know, the same kind of like creature, I mean, that's what you would want, right? And, uh, it's impossible to fucking talk about. <laughs> I know. And you're like, yes, it's fucking natural. It's like, ah, oh, you're a bigot, you know? Um, but you have this energy system, right? If you're a female, your energy body is um, the complement of the male energy body, right? This is how the principle of gender works. And so if you're like a, a female and you're going to get a sex change, you still have your female energy body. Yeah. You're just fucking twisting your whole fucking physical existence up. <laughs> yeah. If you say that, then, you, you know, you're not tolerant. And I'm the most tolerant. <laughs> and saying that makes it sound so shitty. I don't give a shit if people what people do, but um, the whole the whole movement of like accepting gay people, letting them get married, accepting trans people, it, we kind of did all that, but it's not enough. Like the 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 demonic urge to be like more like. Put it in the put it in the pre rainbow flags in the preschool. Like, and there's this like psychotic urge to take it further and further. And I feel like even if we were in the pits of hell, they'd be like deeper, deeper. Like, there is this like never ending urge to like take something sort of normal. Gay people are have always been around, yeah. um, but twisted and 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 have this rageful leftist like never satisfied urge and like i'm i am i do want to speak out against that because like i know what these public school teachers are i know how they've been programmed i know people that went into it and got progressive and progressive and progressive and i i I was telling you in, in chicago i was progressive and i was around those people and i just um if we're talking about a decentralized world, we cannot have these fucked up values in that or else we were useless and retarded, you know, mm-hmm. like if we're in a decentralized world, we're going to have to l- learn how to live as men and women and like, you know, regenerate and, and br- bring humanity on a better timeline, like through the f- future generations. But I feel like we're at like the bottom rung of like a generational decline right now. And it's it seems even more fucked up like in the past two years so yeah but you know it's a setup because it seems like the right and the moral thing to do because you know how as a teenager uh teenagers are fucking angsty man i know (laughs) know? and they fucking (laughs) they get devastated by words yeah right and and it's like it's an effort to make laws so that um, children won't be devastated and, you know, commit suicide. I mean, that's what it comes down to, which is a serious fucking problem. And, but we don't, do we need, you know, uh, to mandate those things in order for that to be, because then it's, it turns into something else at that point. Mm -hmm. Like that there is no gender when there is, (laughs) there is, yeah, and it's it's biology, it's nature. I mean, 
And even when we were, we were talking about the alpha male thing, like I see that in nature a lot, like dogs do that. And I don't yeah. think we should just be like animals, but like, I think whether we like it or not, that's going to be happening. And like the betafication of men is working in some cases, but it's also there's men are still being men just in this <clears throat> twisted, like, um, matrixy way of like the corporate thing. And I, I just feel like it's, it frustrates me when I see like good men out there who are, who still have the competitive, competitive spirit, who are like out there being masculine. They're doing it in this, like this way where they're binge drinking on the weekends and then they're working, they're slaving Monday through Friday. And then they're like watching porn. And it's like, it, I don't know. Something's got, I, I wish they were like ready to freaking like go off the grid, decentralize, like smash the fucking <laughs> the system or whatever. Um, but a lot of them are just deep, deeply programmed to like be a man in this modern way. Yeah. And like these, yeah, you said programmed, right? So like the alpha male uh, protocol is a program, right? And so like if this situation happens, then you react in this way. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to beat down some motherfucker who insulted your wife. Mm -hmm. And like, that's an immediate man. And so, but the irony is classic here with this whole Will Smith example. Yeah. Because he's chuckling at the joke and then fucking gets the look from his wife. And then now he's going to go be the alpha. Yeah. And it's like, he's, but he's the full beta, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in that case, it's pretty obvious. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's getting railed by other dudes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, it's trendy for, it's trendy for fucking beta liberal men to let their wives do that. It's real. It's in right now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, good when job. You were just mentioning, like, I I, th- I thought of Aubrey Marcus when you were just talking about what it means, what people, how males are behaving, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Aubrey Marcus. I know the name. Who is that again? He's, he's big time famous podcaster. Uh, uh, but he, uh, when I first started listening to him, he had this beautiful fucking girlfriend and she decided she wanted to be Polly. Mm-hmm. And he was doing all of these um, monologues about how that was making him feel, you know? Was it bad? And he was really trying to like do it, you know? But yeah. he was crushing it. I bet. You know? I mean,. It could be fun, I'm sure. It could be recreational yeah. relationship or like hedonistic. Just, you have to be okay with yeah. yourself in any relationship, really. It's like you can't be externalizing your own happiness, right? Yeah. But there has to be communication. And mm-hmm. you can have a setup that's, you know, that's open or whatever that works. Yeah. I mean, especially when you but, get way older. Yeah. You can, <laughs> I think that's been going on for generations and that's just not spoken of but if you think about what makes that reaction though it's this um you're fucking you know it's this reproduction thing like i'm protecting my females yeah which makes sense i mean but that's also the competitive aspect yeah and i don't know man well, because I feel like women can be the best versions of the, themselves when they have secure, like when the man is providing like security and protection, you yeah. know, because that is that they they have their female feminine recept, receptive, like nurturing, yeah. like it's they receive and then they nurture, like even like in reproduction, they receive the seed and then nurture the, the freaking uh, 
ba- yeah. little baby until they give birth and they, but like, yeah, it's the, the hermetic side of it. I remember that blew my mind. It's like, I first read it sometime in my twenties about the gender and it was just like the feminine en- energy is like a cauldron. It's like a womb it receives. And then within that it grows in birth. Like, so even like men have that side to themselves, like if they receive a download it's because something that they've been reading or they've been that's in their subconscious has been churning in their internal womb kind of and then they receive it but it it's really just physics almost it's like it's like you know receptive or active like it's going to penetrate and and enter or it's going to receive and and nurture so yeah we're the fact that we're just like all these androgynous fucking hipster they thems um is really sad i mean it, everyone's a little androgynous obviously mm-hmm. but again it's it's taking something normal and then psyoping it to yep. make us weak and scared and fucking useless soy idiots mm-hmm. and uh it makes it so that it creates conflict when any discussion is brought up about it because it on, Trig- on, yeah, that, it's triggering. on that side it's like the it's a, a position that can't be assailed you know so that there's there's no forward movement in any discussion it's always conflict and i don't yeah, yeah i don't i mean i don't know how to what we do about that but it's understanding who you are right individually what your body is and to me it's a bridge to the unseen like there's no separation between body mind and spirit and soul Mm -hmm. our body is like the physical manifestation of our soul yeah so if you're like changing it (laughs) you know i don't know i mean you use your body as a teacher your body knows because it's connected to all things and when you're really in flow state you're not there right your psychological sense of self is gone Mm -hmm. and and your body is just doing everything (laughs) yeah and uh and so to like think of your body as something that needs to be altered so that you can feel okay about yourself or like the how the body's an enemy which is allopathic allopathic medicine is basically your body is fucking your enemy right because you're gonna die (laughs) yeah you gotta fucking you know it's it's a it's a war your whole life long (laughs) against your body and that's just another war on the body man yeah it just seems like there's so many um so, so many inversions of what's natural to perpetuate some type of agenda or psyop or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're li- you you're living here in nature. You're out like in this beautiful landscape. You know, it seems like you're like on your way to getting getting there in some type of like homesteading or like off the grid way. And I I was gonna ask you kind of we're getting at towards the end it's uh, you said you know like of the hippie movement that the the main thing you kind of kept and honored was like the, the earth thing like the back to earth like mm-hmm. could, could you kind of like explain how how to use that in a practical way in your life or like how that works for you um well health wise you know immediately um being in nature makes you feel better. Yeah. But like, in a, and that's very practical, right? Uh, considering your health. Um, and just, if you just go out 
in nature. And this isn't advice because fuck advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I always ask people for advice. <laughs> it's like, what's your advice, man? <laughs> it's just like, okay, it's a no-brainer, man. Um, you feel good, right, when you do it. And it, um, it like, cleanses you in a way. Like, it's an energetic cleansing. And doing a conscious effort to, like, just observe, right? And also, like, observe yourself, observe. Like, mm-hmm. see yourself seeing. Right? It gives you this, another look on things. Um, yeah. And so back to Earth, right? It's like kind of like back to nature. And if we're going to do something like that and still use technology, like, we're not going to go back to, like, you know, we're not going to be the Amish, you know? Uh, the mm-hmm. Amish use fucking leaf springs. Like, at what point do you draw the line at technology? You know yeah. what I mean? They have steel. <laughs> or do they use oak leaf springs, bastards? They use yeah. nails. They fucking have fucking metal fucking wood planes. Yeah. You know? So we are a technological species. You know? We have to understand that. And it doesn't mean that the artificial has to be unnatural. You know? That yeah. we can be, align our creativity you know, with the, uh, with nature. Nature has technology. I mean, yeah, birds, we, our bodies are technology. birds make a nest and like, so yeah, man, this was a great conversation. And like for the listeners, basically I'm on a week long road trip and I basically, <laughs> me and Birch have never really met, but I was like, I just kind of went out on a limb and was like, yo, want to meet up? Like, I'm going to be going through Taos. And we snowboarded for two days. Birch hosted me at his house, which, like, again, I think is the coolest house ever, like, out in the the, the hills of, of uh, Taos in New Mexico. It's it's really a cool experience. And wanted to just publicly thank you, Birch, for, thank for you, showing me around town. He was, like, an awesome tour guide and super hospitable. And it was you know, I was a little, ner- I'm doing, I'm winging it, man. I'm on a <laughs> week long road trip and I just kind of started driving towards Taos hoping for the best and it worked out great. Um, and so for everybody, Birch, where can they find you and, uh, listen to what you're putting out these days? Um, yeah, so you can find me on any, you know, just search for green Knight, all lowercase and that's night with a K N I G H T. And if you want to go to the website, it's green night dot green. Sometimes you have to put in the three W's, but usually it'll just ghost. And, uh, yeah, that's where you find the series that talks about the green night. That was where I started this whole idea with, and it's like a Western, um, version of a Taoist philosophy. That's the, my take on the green night and no one else says that shit. So you listen to episode one and you go all the, th- all the way through to episode 19 and it's kind of like yeah. an audio book. Yeah, it's like a book on tape, but I change things as I go because I learn stuff. I learn new stuff as I was going through and modified what I think the message is. But yeah, it was just to try to like get it out there in a storage communication aspect mm-hmm. so that I could just, you know, because I needed to say it, I guess. And I think there's something to it. And I reference the some of the greatest thinkers, you know, of all time including uh, Bucky Fuller and uh, Krishnamurti, uh, Alan Watts, uh, um, a few other guys. Oh, of course, Marshall McLuhan, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so I begin the whole podcast with an uh, introduction to Marshall and understanding media. And that's actually the title of his greatest book, in my opinion. And he was a mo- uh, media guru, I guess you could say. That's what they call him, but he never wanted to be a guru. But he analyzes uh, media and uh, technology. His whole thing is, is that everything we make is a medium. Mm-hmm. right? So it's like the way we look at media now is like, it's something different than the way he was describing it, although that media is included in his media. So, yeah, Marshall McLuhan is understanding how technology uh, changes the way we think and the way we interact, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a it has this dual aspect because technology can either uh, kill us or save us, you know, and we are in it because that's our that's what we are. We're technological species. So yeah, it's it's better to start from one, and uh, and you'll see how I progress, and arrive at like the idea that um, evil is an invention; it's a false polarity. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks again, Birch, for having me here and for doing this cell phone recorded podcast. And um, for everyone out there, definitely check out the Green Knight and everything Birch is doing. So thanks again, man. Thank you, man. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Birch. Uh, I'm happy to share it and I'm happy that we got to record it on my little journey. Um, that was just recorded straight up on an iPhone, on my iPhone, and I tweaked the audio as best I could to make it sound better. Um, so apologies if it was a little more rough than usual. Um, it makes me think just you know, for anyone that's like thinking about getting into podcasting, just whip out your phone and and record, you know, um, it's not that complicated and everybody should be doing it, in my opinion. Um, if you guys want to book an astrology reading with me, I'm kind of shifting into doing this way more full time than I was before. And I've been doing a lot of readings and it's been great. I love sharing astrology with people and kind of like, you know, uh, tying the loose ends of misunderstanding when people don't understand their charts, getting a reading with me will just help you kind of hopefully give you a light bulb moment. And uh, the prices are still pretty affordable. So check that out. CosmicKeysPodcast.com slash readings. Follow me on social media. My Instagram is at Cosmic underscore Keys underscore podcast. My Twitter is at CosmicKeys777. If you want premium content for me, I do put premium content on Rockfin. I put up a uh, special solo show called The Return of the Cosmic Keys, where I went into a lot of personal spiritual stories about how I ended up um, getting back into podcasting after the last four-month break. And then I also have my quarterly exclusive on Rockfin called Pluto Pilled, where I uh, 
where I work with Cam White and S.J. Anderson in a super premium, uncensorable <laughs> space on Rockfin. And that's really why uh, I'm on there because Rockfin is like my insurance for censorship because censorship is real and Rockfin is a safe space for people who want to say whatever the fuck they want to say. Um, so definitely check that out at rockfin.com slash creator slash cosmic keys podcast. Other than that, guys, um, hope you have a great week. If you're curious about the astrology of this week, check out the forecast I did and, um, get ready for more regular weekly forecasts and regularly, regular weekly episodes too. Alrighty, everybody have a great week and I'll see you next week. 